0: Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Gordon Hayward's gruesome ankle injury, a mere five minutes into his tenure with the Celtics, was the talk of the sports world. But then, like all stories, our short attention spans moved us on to the next thing, But since that day, Gordon Haywood hasn't been as lucky. He has lived this injury 24-7 as he went through a seemingly endless rehab full of fewer highs than lows, all while watching from afar as his new teammates came within one game of the finals. And as we approach the next NBA season, Haywood's struggles are still not over. Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Zach Lowe as we talk about how the road to recovery can be full of potholes. Now we present Inside Gordon Hayward's Misery-Filled Fight to Play Again by Zach Lowe.
1: On August 28th at St. Bernard High School in Los Angeles, about two dozen scouts, players, and trainers watched as Gordon Hayward and Bradley Beal lined up to play one-on-one. It was Hayward's first time playing one-on-one against an NBA starter since undergoing an unexpected second surgery in late May to remove a plate and screws from around the left ankle Hayward shattered five minutes into his Celtics career. The discovery that he needed another surgery had devastated Hayward. It threw his rehabilitation timetable into disarray. By August 28th, he was supposed to have been months into five-on-five games against NBA competition, Now he was easing into one-on-one. I wasn't thinking, I'm going to kill this guy, Hayward told ESPN.com Tuesday night after another disappointing preseason game for the Celtics. I was thinking it would show me what I needed to work on. Beal told Drew Hanlon, the popular skills trainer who holds court at St. Bernard and tinkered with Hayward's game over the summer, that he was confident. They started from the post and could only dribble twice before shooting. Then they moved to the perimeter and allowed themselves three dribbles. Hayward swept five straight games. He surprised the hell out of me, Beal says. Beal called Mark Bartlestein, the agent who represents both. I have good news and bad news, Beal said, the two recalled. I might suck, but Gordon is 100% back. It was a watershed moment for Hayward. A glimpse of hope after a year of arduous rehab, intense anxiety, and the gut punch of a second operation. I was definitely surprised, Hayward says. There have been so many low moments. That was a huge, huge confidence booster. Bullying Beal was a great sign. Hanlon and Hayward, new defenses, would switch against Boston's best lineups. They spent much of the summer working on posting up smaller players. But relying on one-on-one work as September approached was also a reminder of how far behind Hayward was. It is showing so far in the preseason. Hayward is just 5 of 20 from the floor and has committed 8 fouls in 59 minutes. Physically, I feel pretty good, Hayward says. But I don't feel comfortable on the floor yet. It's one thing to be physically able to do everything. It's another to be a basketball player. The timing and the rhythms. When you've been playing a long time, you just know. But... Not after you take a huge break and come back to a new system. The second surgery was such a setback. I was really looking forward to playing five-on-five the whole summer. What I'm going through now is what I wanted to do in the summer, but it didn't work out that way. Hayward had just started to run full speed and play one-on-one in late May when doctors concluded it was best to remove the plate and screws. Hayward had been feeling pain around his ankle for months, he agitated for the surgery earlier, fearing an operation in May or June would sabotage his summer. Hindsight is 2020, he says, but I wish we had knocked this out in March. Doctors and Celtics officials cautioned that no one should undergo a second operation if they don't absolutely have to, Hayward recalls. They needed to determine if something other than the plate, some issue that would go away, was causing the irritation. That process took time. I was miserable, Hayward says. To go back into a walking boot after all that progress? Back on crutches? That was my lowest moment. I felt terrible for him, says Danny Ainge, Boston's GM. Hayward's lows can get really low. That's how I'm wired, he says. I stress and stress. People close to him have long known to expect calls from a despondent Hayward after so-so games. Hayward has trouble sleeping on those nights, he says. Friends hoped the year away would change that. He would miss the game, rediscover the joy of it, fixate less on mistakes. Perhaps the Celtics' success without him would ease Hayward's self-imposed pressure upon his return. It's just basketball, says Jason Smethers, a trainer who is among Hayward's closest friends and lived with him for most of the last year. On this team, you were allowed to have a bad game. Hayward tried to internalize that. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it hurts to watch Boston thrive without him. When you go down like I did after changing teams, it's just not supposed to happen that way, he says. It's just the nature of being a competitor. You want to feel like you're missed. And I was missed. But when you watch them rattle off 16 in a row, those negative thoughts creep in. It was tough sitting and watching. Right now, it's tough playing. On the way home from Sunday's game against Charlotte, in which Hayward shot 1 of 7 and committed 5 fouls in 21 minutes, he called Bartlestein to mope. Bartlestein told him to focus on his chase-down block of Jeremy Lamb, proof he could get up and then land hard on that left leg. That was their routine during Hayward's year rebuilding his leg. Hayward would call Bartlstein and lament every setback. The days he felt more pain when it took him longer than usual to pluck marbles off the ground with his toes, a game he and Smethers invented. When he took a small step backward on some test of balance or agility. After consoling Hayward, Bartlestein would phone Smethers and the two other permanent members of Hayward's rehab crew, Steve Mount, the Celtics rehabilitation manager, and Tyler Yeaton, their strength and conditioning coach, for their take on the day's work. I would get a completely different version from them, Bartlestein says. His conversations with Hayward always ended the same way. I would give him S about being completely out of his mind, Bartlestein says. But that perfectionism, dissecting everything a hundred times, that's what makes him who he is. Hayward's competitive nature got him through the drudgery. We hear all the time about how professional athletes are maniacally competitive. They all hate losing at board games. Hayward is maniacal even by those standards he turned every part of his rehabilitation into a competition. Every morning over Starbucks, he and Smethers would play a best-of-three series of the video game Clash Royale, with the winner earning the right to talk trash for the rest of the day. Hayward famously turned the marble-picking exercise into a timed race and bet against anyone willing to challenge him in a contest of half-court shots attempted from a chair. Hayward used various grip-strengthening exercises to distract himself during Celtics games. One favorite... Unfold several pages of a newspaper and pile them on top of each other. Place one hand in the middle and using only that hand attempt to crumple all of the paper up into a ball that fits into your palm. Sound easy? Dude, Hayward says, it lights your hand on fire. In January, Hayward decided it was time to put Smethers, Eaton, and Mount through some competition. He was tired of listening to them argue about who was the best athlete. He's a misery-loves-company kind of guy, Smethers says. Hayward created Gordon's Grand Gauntlet, a decathlon-esque set of events that included a mile run, a 100-yard dash, driving and putting contests, a test of who could throw a baseball farther, an endurance test on an exercise bike, and a trivia contest. Hayward wrote the questions himself. (laughs) We were pretty effing bored, really, is what it was, Hayward says, laughing. When Mount and Smethers pedaled the same virtual distance over three minutes on the resistance bike, Hayward made them start over. There had to be a distinct finishing order in each event. No ties. During Hayward's pool work at Boston's old practice facility, Smethers and Mount talked trash about who would win a swimming race. Hayward finally demanded they settle it. Mount won. Staffers set up a makeshift podium for a medal ceremony. Hayward found a way to have the Australian National Anthem Mount is Australian, Blair has Mount draped a weight around his neck as a medal. When Hayward needed breaks, he would take a Patriots practice football, a gift from Tom Brady, and heave it all over the Celtics facility, inventing contests with Smethers. Who could sling the ball between those two lights hanging from the ceiling and hit a target on the wall? The ball eventually got stuck in a light fixture. Hayward never retrieved it. In late July, about two months after the plate removal surgery, Hayward was finally ready to run full speed again. At a training facility called Exos in San Diego, staffers set up a beep test run for him. Hayward was to run back and forth between two points, changing directions each time a beep sounded. The beeps started in frequent intervals, so the runner can begin at a casual jog. The interval shrinks as the test proceeds. Anytime a beep beats the runner, the test ends. Smathers watched to make sure Hayward didn't overexert himself. Scott Morrison, a Celtics assistant visiting Hayward at the time, decided he would join. If there was ever a chance to beat him at anything athletic, this was it, Morrison says. They went on and on, faster and faster. Smathers was surprised Hayward was still going. Hayward was surprised Morrison was still going. There was absolutely no way I was losing to a 40-year-old, Hayward says. It can't happen, even if it was my first time running in a long time. Morrison is 41, for the record. Morrison finally gave out. Hayward ran one last sprint, stopped, and gloated. It was, okay, I won, that's enough, he says. Today, it's ping-pong. Hayward has his own paddle. When he saw the pool table in the Celtics' new practice facility, he badgered staff about buying a ping-pong table topper until they finally caved. Hayward supervised the purchasing of paddles so that everyone would have good ones. He was undefeated until Mount secretly swiped Hayward's personal paddle, replaced it with a generic one, and beat him, as much of the staff watched. Mount then revealed what he had done. Hayward has since been more careful." Hayward wants to hang a whiteboard next to the table where he can scribble updated ping-pong rankings. This is how Hayward passed time during his rehab process. That is over now. The games are happening, and there is more to sort out than Hayward anticipated in January and February when his rehab was on course, when a second surgery was an unlikely worst-case scenario. It's just rebuilding habits, remembering the right time to cut or how to guard a simple action. Brad Stevens, Boston's coach, tells ESPN.com, Those are the things you don't think about when you're running or playing one-on-one. Now you have this big five-on-five game to play. To my eyes, he looks fine physically. The more complex layer, figuring out how Hayward fits in a loaded starting lineup featuring two young stars, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who blossomed in his absence. In preseason action, Hayward, Brown, and Tatum have been almost indistinguishable in terms of role. They work as secondary options around Kyrie Irving pick and rolls, ready to attack a scrambled defense if Irving kicks them the ball. Hanlon and Hayward worked much of the summer with that situation in mind. They honed Hayward's pump fake so that it would be more convincing, coaxing defenders into flying by him. They drilled slow ball fakes, shoulder fakes, chin fakes, eyebrow fakes. The first bounce by that defender is the easy part. Hayward and Hanlon focused on the second and third dribbles, the ones that puncture a defense. Hayward practiced keeping his dribble alive even when help defenders step up to protect the rim. One trick? Having Hayward lower his shoulder into that defender's chest, plant his foot, and time his dribble so that the ball and that foot hit the floor at the same time, meaning he would still have a live bounce after the collision. Hanlon designed many of those drills so that Hayward planted off his left foot. He had to trust it again, Hanlon says. Hanlon showed Hayward film of some of the league's shiftiest ball handlers, including C.J. McCollum. Having three, and really four if you count Al Horford, elite secondary options is great. To win championships, you need to collect so much talent that a few people end up in roles for which they are overqualified. But Hayward might be the best decision maker and passer among Boston's perimeter players, and perhaps the best on the team, neck and neck with Horford. As he gets his legs under him, Boston will need to balance the offense so that Hayward gets some time at the controls. That will happen organically as Stevens staggers minutes, giving Hayward a chance to run lineups heavy on bench players. He'll screen for Irving and unconventional pick and rolls. If defenses switch, Hayward is ready to drag smaller guys into the post, he says. The Celtics have time to figure the offense out. Everyone understands the sacrifices involved. Everyone is going to have games where they score a lot more than they do in others, Stephen says. I'm not worried about anyone from that standpoint. Everyone will have their chance to shine. On defense, Hayward will have to jostle with power forwards if Boston is to play its most potent lineups. He defended Kevin Love in the first half against Cleveland on Tuesday. Brown and Tatum will draw that duty in other matchups, Stephen says. He's a strong guy, Stephen says. He's tough enough. Beal agrees. After those one-on-one games, he told Hanlon, I didn't realize how country-strong Gordon is, Hanlon recalls. Hayward is feeling it all out. He has no doubt he and the team will get there. He just imagines an alternative timeline in which the feeling-out process was further along. I wish this could have all happened in the summer, he says, but I'm working through it now.
0: Joining me now is ESPN senior writer, Zach Lowe. Zach, welcome. What's up, sir? I wear my special Vineyard Vines clothes for you today. You
2: know how offensive I find the entire Vineyard Vines brand.
0: I, I literally grabbed something and I this morning. I went, wait, hold on. There's no whale on that. I'm seeing Zach today.
2: I can't lie. I'm not proud. I'm not proud. <laughs> I judge people who wear Vineyard Vines. and then they, and then they But then I meet them like you. We're friends. It's okay. Right. But when I see someone... Strolling down the street in like Vineyard Vines and Nantucket Reds. Uh
0: huh. I, I, I own some, all. I own all that. Something in me goes off. I'm sorry. It's from your Greenwich upbringing.
2: I know. It's. I. I just those people have. To, they have to overcome a barrier of entry with me. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I have to overcome barriers. Of, I'm just not a pleasant person anyway. So
0: listen. You said that, not me.
2: Yeah, I did.
0: I thought it. I didn't say it. It's fair. <laughs> it's, it's fair. <laughs> So getting – let's go back to Gordon Hayward. This is a very interesting story in the sense that you have a basketball player, someone who's competing in a sport that you could very easily argue requires you to be – become the best athletes in the world in many respects. And he's been probably playing this since he was like 10 years old. And then you take that away for a brief period of time and then bang, it's back to ground zero and people don't realize how hard it is to get back to that. Now, would you talk with Gordon Award, like did you find like that was the most jarring part of all this for him?
2: Uh I just thought it was the most interesting story that I could tell mm-hmm. in October 2018. It's it like we're all gonna we're gonna find out how he's gonna fit in the lineup, how good the Celtics are. Like all those questions will be answered. To me, I still felt like I hadn't heard enough about, like, so what? The, how did you, like, pass the time? Mm-hmm. And part of it was I know a lot of people around him now. Yeah. So I could come to him with, like, hey, I heard this funny story. I heard this funny story. I heard this <laughs> funny story. But to him, the most jarring thing was, and I found this – I did not expect this. It, and maybe I should have. It was stupid that I didn't. Was having the second surgery unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So he had to have the plate and the screws removed from his ankle because they were irritating him. Yeah. And I just sort of you know how the news comes and goes and it filters in one ear and out the other. Like I vaguely knew that this happened. Yeah. But the seriousness of the timing and how it screwed up his rehab calendar just never hit me. And to him that was the lowest moment of his entire year. It was not the injury and anything, it was like when they had to do his surgery again.
0: Right. And then just Just the whole visual and the psychological of, like, here he is looking down at himself, looking very similar to how he did in October of 2017. Yeah. And, but then, as you talked about his rehab, you talked about he played one-on-one and doing that, but he still worries about, you know, you hear guys all the time on the football side say, oh, yeah, I've been working out every day in the gym, you know, during my holdout, but I'm not in football shape. And now... He's teaching us a little bit, Gordon Hayward, through your story about what it's like to be in basketball shape.
2: Yeah, and I think for him, it's more mental than physical. I think physically, he's in pretty good shape. He feels like he's 100%. His angle's 100%. Probably his endurance and stuff isn't where it is when he's at like all-star form, but for mm-hmm. him, it's like his rhythm is just off. And maybe part of that is, again, the physically, he's not quite there. I don't know, but his rhythm is off and you can see it. Like the, one of the, I went to two, games recently in Boston. One, he had 5,000, like, eight minutes. He almost fouled out in the first half. And you could just see, like, he just would, like, try to get around a screen on defense and he'd be late or he'd get hung up in ways that – and he would – I was watching him and he would just – he looked like a 10-year-old kid who missed a shot, like the body language the sagging shoulders, the ugh, beating himself up. You could tell it's like he just couldn't – something was just off.
0: And you mentioned that about how his agent, Mark Barlstein – and his team around him, like that's part of, like especially his agent, that, that's one of their jobs more than anything is to constantly tell him, like to your point, don't be the 10-year-old who missed the shot with the shoulders down. It's not as awful as you think, like the mental game.
2: Yeah, he is, I mean, I, I had known that he's an intensely competitive person even more so than most professional athletes. I didn't realize sort of how in his own head – and down on himself, he gets. That's mm-hmm. um, a very defining part of his personality to the people around him. Um, and and they would tell stories about how, you know, he'd go 4 of 15 in a game for Utah and he'd call and be like, it would be like the world was ending. Yeah. You know, and they'd be like, Gordon, there's another game tomorrow. <laughs> like, just, everything's fine, man.
0: But as uh, part of also his recovery, and we keep talking about the mental part – um, did he hear from other people? Because I know I only ask that because I remember when uh, whenever somebody gets hurt, you always you hear like, "Well, Kobe Bryant reached out because you know when he tore his Achilles, like he reached out to this person that to tell them not about like, oh, you're going to do this drill on the stepmaster, the stairmaster, like just the mental part of it."
2: So it's funny you mentioned Kobe because before his last season in Utah, he like secretly went to Newport Beach and trained with Kobe. Okay. Uh, but that was a, he was perfectly healthy, obviously then. But, and he didn't want that to get out. I knew about it and I asked him about it and he didn't want it to get out. I I put it out anyway. Um, <laughs> but I think he didn't want it to get out because the Utah fans hate the Lakers.
0: Right. right.
2: <laughs> and, uh, but he talked, to, I didn't put this in the story and I kind of regret it. He and Paul George actually developed like a, a kind of a, I mean they've known each other a while anyway, they're the same draft class, but he talked to PG you know, shortly after the injury and –
0: Because Paul, who famously broke his yeah. leg for Team USA. Yeah.
2: Um and, and throughout the year. I think he talked to Kevin Ware a little bit, the kid from Louisville that's been written.
0: Oh, uh, right. Okay. Um,
2: But the, I didn't get into the PG stuff because um, that had already been covered by lots of people.
0: Right. But it's also – but going back to like how he would call his agent and be like, the world's over, I should probably give this – you know – the worst basketball player ever, like when he has a bad night. There also seems to be like there's a balance there where negative, negativity and adversity can push you towards what you want to be. But then it could also go the other way. It can start pulling you from your goal because you don't think you're worthy to do this anymore sure. anyway. And is that something that is – well, that's something that it seems that when he's in his all-star form in Utah, he's battling in his head – it must have been much deeper during a rehab process
2: yeah and he he would get upset about you know he had all these tests that he had to do every day all these stretching exercises all these games they made up i mean the most famous one is when he puts all the marbles on the towel and picks mm. them up with his feet and they would time that how long does it take you to and he would pick them up with his feet and put them in a like a jar um and and when he would do poorly at that or when he would fail some balance test or right. something he or when it just like you know he's got this video now this video series that's come out about his his rehab Mm -hmm. you know you see him doing these like very basic stretches like you and i could get up and do them pretty proficiently Mm -hmm. right now we are not professional athletes no we are not and he was at he has trouble doing like holding this pose for more than 10 seconds and you can see how frustrated it was stuff like that um that just got him down and he would call and say, Man, it's just taking me so long, I don't know what's gonna happen and then of course the second surgery just sent him into a little bit of a tailspin.
0: Yeah, and so um with all these anecdotes you had though about like I heard this funny story, this funny story and you know, Hayward basically says it, it it just sounds that while this was such a necessary process, it just sounds like a bunch of people who were just bored to death.
2: Yeah. I was glad he said that, and I, and and I said that's that's part of the story. Now, the danger in a story like that is that it's just a collection of anecdotes that doesn't add up to anything, right. But a collection of anecdotes, and I think yeah, that was a little I, that that there's a little bit of that. But I told him like, a you're a star athlete, so any mm-hmm. anecdote about you is definitionally more interesting than literally the same anecdote about me.
0: Yeah, like um, you and I uh, ping pong stories about us would not be not interesting.
2: Worse. Yeah. Um, And B, like, I think the anecdotes are kind of funny. Like, some of them are kind of good. So, like, what's the harm? Like, there's no harm. It's the internet. You can put an extra 150 words of anecdotes (laughs) into the story if they're funny. And, like, enough people will find Gordon Hayward being so good at ping pong that they steal his paddle and swap it out for, like, a generic paddle to throw him off. I think that's funny.
0: And he only beat Julian Edelman. Uh, Julian Edelman only beat him once.
2: Yes. They were sensitive. The Celtics were I, the Julian Edelman thing is not in my story. No, a little bit of a sore spot. Celtics were. I, I don't follow football, so I don't really know. He was suspended for something. He was PED. PEDs. Yeah. So I think the Celtic. I actually heard about that from the Celtics, and I wanted to ask Gordon. I think the Celtics were hesitant to let it be known that Julius Ju- Julian 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 Edelman. Julian Edelman was in their facility hanging around while on suspension for PEDs. I think they just – the association – Like it was like
0: a stink to it? Yeah,
2: I don't know. They just didn't want me to ask him about it. And then, of course, Woj and Schefter have it nailed down and put put it out the day my story comes out.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. Well, as you said earlier, like, you know, he's going to take – get his legs back and time and whatnot. And the results haven't returned yet to Hayward being back where he wants to be. Is there a thought – through all this rehab and like this back to basics footwork and all that that while he's not back to where he was, all this fundamentals could actually make him better than he could have been.
2: I have not heard that no I've not heard that he looks fine like he looks pretty good I think his game's gonna be fine but I have not heard people say that
0: and how much I mean going back to also we talk about like and everything will be fine in the end with the Celtics. But are there any potential that you would see any potential chemistry issues here like or how much of a leash do they give like to the players would you feel would give to Hayward to sort of learn by doing because in the end, yes, if he gets back to his form, he'll really help the Celtics, but in the process of learning by doing, they're doing it at the expense of some of their minutes
2: they're worried about that they've been pretty open that they're worried about that um you have some guys that are not, are not worried about it at all. Like mm-hmm. Terry Rogier is really taking it in stride. He's a pro, like I, I am, I can't tell you how impressed I am with that guy. He's mm-hmm. taking it as a personal challenge. Like I'm going to force Brad Stevens to play me 25 minutes a game. That's how good I'm going to be. He's yeah. going to have to find me this amount of minutes. And the league knows how, he's like, the league knows how good I am. Like he, he won't say that, but you can tell it's like, I'm not worried about like the league forgetting. What I did in the playoffs, yeah. like I, I'm going to be cool. Then there are other guys on the team that the Celtics are a little worried about. How are they going to take the touches going down? How are they going to take the minutes going down? And I guess you're right. If Gordon proves to be taking longer, mm-hmm. and he's now has back pain that he's fighting through all of a sure. sudden, yeah. Um, you know, there could be some like, hey, we did this last year a, a different way, and it worked pretty well.
0: Yeah, and then there, I mean. You could also – but how how much weight is given to Brad Stevens himself as far as like the systems he comes up with in a way that, you know, it's pretty amazing that what he was able to do with Isaiah Thomas and what Isaiah Thomas was able to do after he left.
2: Yeah, I, I think Brad is like – you know, there's this whole now like Brad backlash of like, oh, the media is prematurely deified <clears throat> Brad. Mm-hmm. Brad Stevens is a really good coach. Mm-hmm. And you look at what's happening in Minnesota right now. Right. Where a lot of that is just you have a couple players who don't like each other, and the organization has been unable to foster an environment where they can overcome that and function. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is on the coach, and Brad is really good at that stuff, and you talk to the players on the team – One of the reasons the Celtics are confident, maybe the main one, that all of this chemistry minute stuff will be okay is because of Brad. And one of the things he's really good at is, and this is like such a dumb fundamental thing, is being really honest and straightforward with the players, communicating with them, telling them, if you do not do X, Y, and Z, you won't play. Like Mm -hmm. Shane Larkin told me a story once, He, he didn't get a loose ball. In some random game against the Nets, like somebody beat him to a loose ball, and if you mm-hmm. watch the clip, like he's not, he's not the one who wants the loose ball the most.
0: Right, he's not giving out. Yep.
2: Brad took him right out of the game immediately, and just calmly said to him, "You, you can't do that. Like, if you want to play, you have to at least be on the floor. You have to get that loose ball." Then brought him back in a couple minutes later. Didn't scream at him. Didn't mm-hmm. yell at him. Just that's the criteria, and and I think all of these guys will know. Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown, whoever it is, like your performance will justify how many minutes you play, and that's going to be the criteria. And we don't meet it. Your minutes are going to go down. When you meet it, your minutes will go up, and he's going to fall through with it every time. And, like, it's hard to be unhappy.
0: And to that point, then, do you find, as you mentioned, Minnesota, are there a lot of coaches that sort of, in your opinion, sort of go without going through each team or whatever, go through? Sort of head games in a way, wouldn't like if you took that exact loose ball situation and put it in other teams, would they play it vastly different? That would potentially cause like a powder keg.
2: There, there are coaches that are better than others. I think about being straightforward,
0: mm-hmm.
2: about, um, like like it's it's a lot of players don't like screamers. Like right. Brad, Brad is one of the coaches who's able to run a pretty tight ship without. Screaming mm-hmm. and humiliating people, or
0: being passive aggressive.
2: Yeah, and, and yeah, a lot, a lot. of coaches kind of like the head games thing. Like, let's see how I respond, how he responds if you know, mm-hmm. I ignore him or do this like, exactly. Um, and and the consistency is the key. Like, if you're going to set a standard, that has to be the standard all the time. Mm-hmm. And standards might be different for different players. Like, different skills might be emphasized, or different benchmarks might be emphasized. But like, once it's once it's a benchmark, it's a benchmark, and like everyone understands it. It's communicated clearly. If you don't meet it, like, you can't argue.
0: Whether you're a superstar or not. Yeah. So in that respect, then, if the Celtics, I mean, they could, you know, not come out of the gate flying, is the key to all this Coach Stevens, you know, sort of preaching patience and confidence and manage, more managing expectations in the short term are probably a more important job than anything else? Yeah.
2: I don't know, because he's, a he's like, secretly a hard a- I mean, that's, I think, what people miss about Coach Stevens a little bit, is that he's a hard ass. I mean, the famous story is, and people have written this, including me, like, two days after Hayward gets hurt, mm-hmm. they have a team meeting. I think he called a team—I don't remember the exact coordinates of it, but he called a team meeting when normally there wouldn't be one. And he just said, there, there are no excuses. Like, we have talent. We have to figure out how to do it. We're not going to lean on our youth as a crutch— who can win a lot of games with this team if we do things the right way and we play the right way. That's it. And I think he will prepare them for some rust. Like, you know, two-game losing streak, he's not going to be like, we're supposed to be the number one team in the East. What's wrong mm-hmm. with us? This? this is crazy. But I do think he's going to hold them to a high standard really early yeah. and not let them use this as a, as a a, a a an excuse or a crutch if they don't play well. I think he's going to be pretty demanding in terms of what he wants to see on the floor right away.
0: Now if you see around like near the All Star break, they're not like the they're like the three seed or something like that. Is that something that, you know, if, if people the media, whoever start coming after him first or the blogosphere and social media starts coming down on them, is that something that, you know, that can be managed in a way that, you know, he can manage it in the locker room?
2: I think so. Yeah, I don't think he would care. I don't think they would care. Three seed is like East is going to be really good. Like Top of the East is really good. If they're the three seed at the all-star break, but they're close, Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be acceptable. If they're the five seed, then that's a different story.
0: So besides the rust, so you would say all signs point go for Gordon
2: Hayward. Except this recent back thing, Mm -hmm. which I think he came out today, and this is Friday the 12th, Yep, um, and said – they might watch his minutes a little bit yeah. more carefully than they they were going to. That's a little bit troubling, sure. Um, but they're so deep, and and the team will be fine. But yeah, it's it's he's behind where he wants to be and where I thought he was going to be.
0: So end of the day, where do you uh, what do you see the Celtics doing at the end of the year?
2: I still think in May they're the best team in the East, and I will still pick them to make the finals. And, and I don't know, I I. I think I was going to say one of my big predictions for the season was going to be Celtics have the best record in the league, period. Mm-hmm. Better than the Warriors, better than the Rockets. That they, I think they could win 65 games. The preseason, although I don't read a lot into it, has shaken me a little bit. But I, but I still think by May, by June, they're the best team in the East.
0: Well, we'll definitely be watching. Zach Lowe, thank you so much for your time.
2: My pleasure, sir.
0: Thank you. Subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.